Good morning. There's a story that one day there were a group of scientists, and they got together, and after discussing about all that they had come up with and how the world had progressed, that they realized that the world was no longer in need of God. That's what they came to the conclusion, and they decided that it would be the right thing to do for someone to tell God this. So one of the scientists drew the short straw and was chosen to speak to God, tell him of their thoughts that he was no longer needed. So the scientist said, well, I guess I'll pray. So he closed his eyes and he said, God, we appreciate all that you've done for us in the history of the world, in the past. You've taken care of things, uh, but we are no longer in need of your services. We've made great advances in modern medicine. With quantum physics, we've penetrated most of the deepest secrets of the universe. We've cloned sheep, and we're close to cloning a human. So we feel, God, that we have everything under control. To their amazement, God answered back. And he said, well, I understand where you're coming from, and I'll leave you alone. But I would like to challenge you to one final contest. And uh, so the scientist said, okay, that sounds good. What is it? And then he looked, and behold, there was God in human form standing right in front of him. And God says, I challenge you to make a person. And so God bent down and, and, and picked up a fistful of dust, of dirt. And the scientist saw what God was doing, so he went down to, to go pick up a fistful of dirt. Before he grabbed the dirt, God said, no, no, get your own dirt. God even makes the dirt by which we can do anything with, amen? That is such as the power of God who makes everything out of nothing. Today we are in John chapter 5. Starting in verse 19, as we continue reading through the Bible in a year. And I was reading through this, and the earlier passage is about man being healed in the pool. And I thought to myself, gosh, that's a passage I will really preach. Uh, I could really preach that one. That would be fun to preach. But God led me away from that, and he led me to this passage. And I think that we are going to enjoy what God has to say to us today. That is my prayer. Verse 19. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will show him, so that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead... And gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. For the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life, he does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Verse 25. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here. When the dead will hear 
the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life, and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Heavenly Father, we thank you for being able to come in here today and sing your praises. We're able to be here voluntarily. Uh, We're able to come and and, and, and use our our freedom, our, our liberty that you give us to worship you today, Father. Let us never take that for granted. We thank you for the God that you are today, Lord. And as we listen to your word, Lord, I pray that that you take these words that I've written and prayed over, that you make my words your words, and transform this message into a sermon, hearing from you, Lord, that your spirit would speak through me, and that the Holy Spirit would be in here in the hearts of those who are here, in the brains of those who are here, and receive your message today about your power Lord, be with us. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Today I want to give you three realities that we see in this passage of the power of Jesus. Three realities we see in this passage of the power of Jesus. First, Jesus has the power to anger people. And really it should be anger that's underlined. But but anyway, Jesus has the power to anger people people. Verse 18. It tells us that this, and we'll talk about that in a second, this was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, being Jesus, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Two reasons why Jesus' own people, his own community, his own friends, family members even, his own Jews were seeking to kill him. First, he was breaking the Sabbath, which we'll talk about in a second, and he claimed to be God. Now, we know he really wasn't breaking the Sabbath because they said because you healed a man on Sunday and because you've done certain things that you've worked, and we know that is not what the Sabbath was about, but they created all these rules that you couldn't even, if you couldn't even do anything on the Sabbath, if you walked more than three quarters of a mile, it was considered work. And you broke the Sabbath. So they created this intense legal system that was extra biblical. And so they said that he was breaking the Sabbath, which he was not. Secondly, though, he claimed to be God. And he did, in fact, claim to be God. So we see the Jews angered for really two reasons. One, he broke their rules, their man-made rules. Two, he broke their beliefs, their religion. He broke their rules. He broke their religion. Jesus angered people because he did not fit the description of who they wanted him to be. And he angers people now for the same reasons today. And as a Christian, your faith in Jesus Christ will anger people in these two areas as well. Because you will break their rules and you will break their beliefs as well. If your life does not line up with another person, and I'm talking about unbelievers or people who don't have a biblical worldview, if your life does not line up with another person's goals and traditions, they will likely get angry. 
And if their values and their traditions are actually their religion or serve as their religion, whether they know it or not, they'll get angry as well. And they're angry because you, as a believer in Christ, refuse to order your life around what they believe. Have you experienced that before? (laughs) So your life threatens their life. Your freedom in Christ, your faith in Christ, threatens the way that they have ordered and orchestrated their life. So they will be angry at you, but really they're angry at their own situation because deep down they do not have freedom in Christ, and so they want you to be as miserable as they are. This is what Jesus encountered. As a Christian, you will be constantly fighting man-made legalisms, man-made traditions, and people's expectations of how you should be living by the same code by which they live. But there is no freedom in ordering your life around people's unbiblical expectations of you. There's freedom in living in Christ. We see this all throughout the New Testament, all through Scripture. There's freedom in living in Jesus, but that freedom even angers people. So Jesus has the power to anger people by simply giving those people freedom to live under him, and it makes people mad. Secondly, Jesus has the power to judge people. He has the power to judge people. Verse 19. So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, the son, talking about himself, can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, that the son does likewise. Jesus, being fully man, fully God, does not act outside of the authority of God the Father. Jesus was not doing whatever he wanted. It was all in the will of God the Father. Now this is confusing because we know that even though Jesus is fully God, even though he is a person of the Trinity, three persons in one being, he still was submissive to the will of the Heavenly Father. He says this himself. And it's a mystery that we'll never fully comprehend because the Father sent the Son The Son sent the Spirit. So we see this this authority, this line of authority, even though God is one being in three persons. So John here is going in great lengths in this section to show that Jesus is God, yet the Son has a different role than the Father. And even in that different role, the Son still carries out the will of God. The Father. And so where are we going with this? Look at verse 20. He says, For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will he show him, so that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. Just as the Father can raise the dead, and give people life, Jesus will give new spiritual life 
to whoever believes in him. And even in that authority, we see something that we may not intuitively know about Jesus. Verse 22, he says this, For the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son. The Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son. If you were to go out into the community and say, Does God, is God the Father going to judge you? They might say yes. They might misunderstand what you're asking, but that would be wrong. The Son, Jesus, is the one that does the judging. When a person stands before the throne of God to be judged, God is not the one doing the judging. Jesus is the one doing the judging. And there are two types of judgments by which Jesus will preside. First, you have what's called the Bema seat judgment. Bema means judgment seat. That's what it means. That's why we call it that. And look at 2 Corinthians 5.10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. A bema was a raised platform on which judges sat to view the sporting events, like the Olympics and things like this that we would think of. And their job was to make sure that the contestants followed the rules, not to make a, a negative judgment, but to make sure they followed the rules and then they presented the awards to the victors, like medals and garlands on the head and things like that. The Bema was never a place where they reprimanded the athletes or punished them in any way. It was a place of reward. And the Bema seat judgment, all Christians will stand before. And it is a place of rewards. This is why believers only stand in front of the Bema seat. Because this is where we have passed our test. And this is where we receive our rewards. Look at James 2.12. He hints at this when he says, So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. This is the, the law of condemnation. It's the law of freedom. So as we live under this law of freedom, we're judged for the good things we do. So we speak and act so that when we're judged, we will have the victor's rewards. Amen? We will have the victor's crowns. Matthew 12, 36 says this, I tell you on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. Now, if you read this out of context, you may think that you know, you're saved by grace, but then you're going to stand in front of Jesus. He's going to say, well, you know, you still messed up over here and you still didn't get this right. And, and why did you cut that person off in traffic? And why did you say that word about your mother? And all these kind of things, right? No, that's not what's going to happen. The Bema seat is a place of reward only. And so he says we act and we speak because we have the freedom, the liberty to live a life worthy of our calling, not because we'll be punished. But the problem we get is even as Christians, as we live our life, we find ourselves making decisions for fear of eternal punishment in some way and not for the joy of the freedom of living. Amen. We will not be judged by our sin when we stand before the throne of Jesus. You know why? Because that was the point of the cross. Jesus took every sin, if you're a believer, on the cross. So it's been dealt with. It is gone. You will never hear about it again. 
And that is the amazing thing about grace that we never can quite keep our, our, our mind on. Because if we were in God's place, we would not do that. <laughs> Even if we had forgiven someone who had hurt us, we would still want to say, well, I forgive you. But you know that one time you did that thing, I wish you hadn't done that. It hurt my feelings. Right? God is never going to say to us that. It has been forgiven. It has been dealt with. Jesus took it on the cross what a shame it would be for Jesus to take your sin, the judgment for your sin, the wrath of God for your sin, on the cross and still bring it up to you. It would be like he went through all that for nothing. That would not be forgiveness. It would be some type of martyrdom, but it wouldn't be forgiveness. This is why we sing about amazing grace. Because God's grace is beyond wonder. And not only does he not bring it up anymore, is there no more judgment to believers anymore, he gives us crowns and rewards. The Bible talks about receiving the crown of righteousness, the crown of life, the crown of glory. God's grace is truly amazing. And it's something that we never quite grasp because we know we don't deserve it. We know we deserve discipline and punishment and God does discipline us in this life yes he does when we sin to, to bring us back to us but before his throne there is no negative judgment there is no condemnation there's only rewards and we know it's not fair amen that's why we struggle with it but God's grace is not fair and that's the great thing about it so we see the beam of seat but then there's a second type of judgment and it's called the great white throne judgment the great white throne judgment it's also referred to as the judgment of the nations this is the judgment of all people who died as unbelievers in christ and jesus too presides over this why why does he preside over verse 23 tells us that all all means y'all right all all may honor the son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. There's no God without Jesus. There's no believing in God without believing in Jesus, the rightful God of the universe. The judgments are a place where Jesus gives, receives the glory and the honor that are due him. We see this in Revelation chapter 20. John writes about his vision. Verse 11 says, Then I saw a great white throne. This is where we, why we call it the great white throne judgment. And him who was seated on it, being Jesus. From his presence, earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. Now for the believer, our book's going to be open, and there's going to be nothing on it but the name of Jesus. Amen? Our, our, our works are gone, the great white throne judgment. But everyone who doesn't have Jesus will have everything they did that was sinful and bad, that missed the mark of God, written down. Ours, praise the Lord, have been deleted Trashed, gone. But not those who don't have Jesus. Verse 13. And the sea 
gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one of them according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. See, Jesus is who all people ultimately answer. Jesus. Not the universe. Not spirits. Not artificial intelligence. Not some alien life form. It's Jesus. Now, if the story ended there, it would be sad. But it doesn't. Because there is a way to avoid it. And we see here in verse 24, look what he says. Truly, truly, Jesus says, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes in him has eternal life. That's it. You don't have to write a dissertation. You don't have to pass a driver's test. You don't have to call your, 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 your grandmother every week. There's nothing you have to do but hear and believe. Amen. Again, it seems too easy for us, doesn't it? That's it? Yes, that's it. It says that he does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. Jesus not only has the power to judge, he has the power to save. For those who choose not to be saved, Jesus is their judge. And number three, finally, Jesus has the power to raise people. To raise people. Verse 25. He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here where the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God. And those who hear will live. Now, in this section, Jesus declares that we're living in what is called the New Testament age into the church age. And we're both living in the kingdom of God. Now, we're living in the kingdom of God now, right? But it's not his complete kingdom. So it's here, but it's not quite there. And so his words have a kind of a double intended meaning. And so metaphorically speaking, he's saying we're living in the time where the spiritual dead will hear the voice of Jesus and those who hear it will spiritually live. We know this because we're alive, and this is what he's saying. Ephesians 2 says this, For God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved. We were spiritually dead, but he saved us. That's not always talking about here. Secondly, He's speaking also here in this verse about the time where he will return physically, not metaphorically, physically. And he will judge the living and the dead, and those believers who have died in faith will literally be raised. Look at 1 Thessalonians 4. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe... That Jesus died and rose again. Even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that, though, that we who are alive, who are left, until the coming of the Lord, 
will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be called up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Jesus has the power to raise both now and in the future. And that's what he's saying. to be a time where, where we, will, we will come out. We'll be physical bodies. We'll be raised. If we're, if we're dead before the rapture, which is when those who are living raised, that we'll, we'll come out of our tombs raised. The funeral homes will go out of business. Be no need for them anymore. They serve their purpose. He raises us from the dead. Verse 26 says this in our text. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. He has given him authority to execute judgment because he's the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life, and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. See, Jesus, the God-man, who defeated death, raised himself from the dead, will one day raise his people from the dead. Why? Because they believed in him for salvation and forgiveness of sins. When this little boy and his father were, were driving down a country road on a beautiful afternoon, and suddenly out of nowhere, a bumblebee flew in the car window as they were driving. And the little boy was deathly allergic to bee stings, so he was petrified by it. So as his father was driving, the, the, the bee fluttered around, and he, he grabbed the bee with one hand and the steering wheel with the other, and held it tight and released it, and the bumblebee flew around some more, and the son became frantic again, and the, and the father said, oh no, it's okay, let me show you something. He reached out his hand and opened it up, and in his hand was stuck in the skin the stinger of the bee. He said, you see this? You don't have to be afraid anymore. I've taken the sting for you. In the same way, the Christian has no need to be, to be afraid of death because Christ has taken the sting out of death and sin. Amen. There's no need to be afraid because Jesus has the power to raise us from the dead and one day he will do that. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for taking that sting out of death. We have nothing to fear when we feel death close to us, or if we feel in a situation where we're in danger, that stinger can't affect us. It's just a, death is just a, just a uh, annoying buzzing in our ear. You've taken the sting. Father, we thank you that, that you sent your son Jesus. And Jesus, we thank you that you are a judge. We thank you that you are someone who can resurrect 
So, Lord, as we close our time together today, my prayer is if there is one in here that's never heard your gospel and believed it, that today they will. Today they will pass from death to life. Today will be the day that you saved them. And that when you died on the cross, they will know that all those sins they've committed and will commit, that they, that they too, those, those sins as well, were also on the cross as you bore the wrath of God for us. That they would receive what you've done. Lord, in a, in a thankfulness. Father, we love you. During our time of response, if there's one down here that needs to, needs to just do some business with you, the steps are open. They can pray to you. If, they, if there's someone who needs prayer, Lord, I'm more than thankful, more than willing to pray for them. Whatever, whatever someone in here needs, Lord, that, that you would direct that need Lord, that so they would be encouraged today for whatever they need to do. Lord, we love you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you stand and sing with us?